Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. And we have a breaking news story regarding the unprecedented leak at the U.S. Supreme Court that we have to address. We were going to talk with Dr. Andy Woods about, um, my goodness, the, the Third Temple and the tensions over there in Jerusalem. We're going to focus a little bit more on the Middle East and just other things, globalism. Uh, but because of this huge story and the implications, we've got to address this right now. And I just want to read a little statement from Julaine Appling at Wisconsin Family Action, who urges cautious optimism. She said this draft that was leaked, if you don't know the story, the Supreme Court had a leak and a draft of their opinion on Roe v. Wade uh, came out, and the justices apparently are leaning toward overturning Roe v. Wade. Chief Justice Alito, uh, if the story is accurate, was assigned to draft the opinion, and uh, it is there, well, as of now. Now, understand, they could wait until the end of June for a final vote, and so this is just a huge story, but we've got to really urge caution here. Don't be celebrating because they didn't technically vote yet. So I'm going to bring in uh, Pastor Andy Woods, who is pastor-teacher at Sugarland Bible Church in Texas, author of the book Babylon, The Bookends of History. Last time we had him on, we discussed that, and we'll put that link in the podcast notes. He's also president of Schaefer Theological Seminary, founder of Andy Woods Ministries. Uh, Andy, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. David, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm so thrilled. I think God worked this out to have you scheduled yeah. for today. <laughs> yeah. So with your background, um, you can give us a little more insight. And I know we're going to be doing some speculation today because we don't know exactly how this happened. It's never happened before. No draft decision in modern history of the court has ever been leaked or disclosed while the case was still pending. So you're, first of all, right off the top, Andy, I just want to get your reaction when you saw the news or heard it last night. Just what did you think about everything that's going on? Well, like like most people, you know, I was completely shocked because, as you said, <clears throat> something like this has really never happened before. But apparently there, you know, it's a draft. And when I was going through law school, I, I did an, an internship at a court. And so I know a little bit about it, an appellate court at the state level. And basically they come out with drafts and, you know, they try to get um, – you know, other judges to sign on, you know, to the draft. And so the language is sort of in flux and things are being, you know, shifted around right till the time when a final, when a final opinion comes out. But apparently that's what's, what's happened here is it looks like something Samuel, Justice Samuel Alito wrote. And apparently he's got five, which is <coughs> significant because that would be a majority opinion. Uh, that agree with what he's written, but the language is still sort of being debated. Mm. But if what we have seen, you know, holds true, that you have a, a prospect where the infamous Roe versus Wade decision, which has been Supreme Court precedent for the last 50 years, and if your listeners don't know, um, that's the very infamous decision that created out of thin air a constitutional right to have an abortion. Um, if this language holds true, and if this draft eventually becomes a majority, you know, opinion, then that decision could be overturned. And what's very tragic about it is now what you're watching for the very first time is the politicization of the court. Yes. Because the court really was the last institution which was supposed to look at the Constitution objectively and make decisions not based on political pressure 
but on what the Constitution actually says. And apparently now we have five jurists or justices that want to look at the Constitution for what it says and overturn Roe versus Wade, and somebody leaked the draft, mm-hmm. which is unheard of. Uh, probably, you know, there's a lot of speculation as to who leaked the draft. Maybe it's a law clerk. Maybe it's an employee of the court. But it's apparently, according to theory, somebody with um, a very pro-abortion mindset. And they linked it. They leaked it for the purpose, most likely, of, you know, uh, ramping up the political machine, uh, getting everybody upset, giving, getting everybody involved in, hey, now we've got to pack the court. You know, getting everybody involved in, hey, now we've got to have federal legislation, um, you know, to make sure Roe versus Wade is the law of the land. And it's the exact kind of thing that the court is not supposed to be involved in. They're not supposed to be swayed by political pressure. They're supposed to be swayed by, objectively, what does the Constitution say or not say. And so what you're seeing, and the reason I say this is somewhat sad, is it's the fall probably of the very last institution that we have that was supposed to be apolitical. And regardless of what people think about Roe versus Wade um, and abortion, you know, what, what has happened here is horrible because it's politicizing the last institution we had that's supposed to be apolitical. That's right. Um, yeah. And you think about when they were nominating or go- the Supreme Court justices, the recent last two, three, four, were going through the confirmation process. It was anything but political. The activists came out in full force against who can forget Justice Brett Kavanaugh and even Amy Coney Barrett. I thought they were pro women. And, 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 you know, I thought they were supporting, you know, all women. Right. Uh, the, the movements there. But no, they came out against them. Why? Because they leaned conservative. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so when this recent, I forget her name, the recent one that was nominated to the court by Biden, I forget her name. Uh, I think it's Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Ketanji Brown-Jackson. Yes, not a peep. Not a peep of protest. I've, of course, people tried to raise concerns whether she was qualified or not. She couldn't even tell what a a woman was. She couldn't say that because, of course, she wasn't a biologist. But um, so when when Kavanaugh and when Coney Barrett were nominated going through the confirmation process, it was everything all you know what broke loose and the left causes chaos. And then they try to be the solution to the chaos that they cause. Could this be another situation, um, Andy Woods, where they're going to use this? They've got two months now to do something. I just read an article uh, over the Gateway Pundit, the barricades were erected at the Supreme Court last night or yesterday after the reported leak. And as of 10 p.m. last night, the crowd of protesters grew to several hundred. That's pretty fast for not for the barricades to be ready to be put up, but for protesters already to gather. Of course, the leftists, the pro-choicers, pro-aborts. So what do you think about this after knowing this is already a political battle? Well, you know, really, if you want to track the roots of this, it goes back to the late 1980s when a guy named um, Robert Bork, Mm -hmm. you know, was nominated by then-President Ronald Reagan, you know, to be the Supreme, uh, Supreme Court Justice. And during his confirmation hearings, that is the first time in American history that I know of where a political campaign has actually been waged on a Supreme Court nominee. I mean, clearly you have political campaigns for president, you have political campaigns for Senate, House, etc., any other elective office, but this is the first time they actually waged a ideological, you know, took out campaign ads, etc., against Robert Bork. Hmm. And so that's really the beginning of the politicization of the Supreme Court, because quite frankly, when someone is nominated for the Supreme Court, I really don't care if they're Republican or Democrat. I don't really care if they're conservative or liberal. That Those are all irrelevant issues. The issue is interpretation. Yes. What What is their philosophy of interpretation? And, and of course, the kind of people we want on the Supreme Court are those that are originalists, meaning that they see their job as finding the original intent of the Founding Fathers on a certain matter, 
and using that as the basis for adjudicating, you know, the different matters that come before the court. And that's what Robert Bork back in the 1980s represented. And of course, if you have that uh, out the window, goes a lot of liberal experiments like Roe versus Wade, mm-hmm. which is bad constitutional law, like the strict wall of separation between church and state, yes. which is bad constitutional law. And so consequently, what happened with Robert Bork is the whole process became politicized as if he was running for something, mm-hmm. which he wasn't. And this this has just happened um, with, uh, you mentioned Kavanaugh and others, and now the whole thing, this whole politicization process has now been ramped up to the next level, where you now have a leaked draft <laughs> for the purpose of revving up the political machine again in an attempt to, you know, sway the justice pol- politically rather than based on constitutional interpretation. Yeah, it's... Is it a? There's so much, so many directions we could go after what you just said, but it, I know some on the left interpret the Constitution very differently. Like it's a changing, living, breathing document, um, and on the right, for for just the ease of our audience to understand it, they go by like the Constitution is law, the law of the land. It is not to be changed. You can amend. The Constitution, but is this a worldview issue? How does that play in, uh, Pastor Andy? Well, it absolutely is a world issue because it goes back to evolution, um, and this was, you know, Darwin's evolution, uh, Darwin's Origin of the Species came out in 1859, and that influenced judicial thought, beginning with names like, you know, Columbus, Langdale, and Roscoe Pound and others at Harvard Law School, and they started to reason that, well, if man is evolving upward through evolution, then we need a constitution that's evolving upward as well. Hmm. And so the function of the judge is not to study the original founding mindset of our founding fathers, but rather to, you know, evolve the document upward with with an evolving society. And that became the basis for the living document theory of the Constitution, which very sadly is what is taught in most law schools today. And uh, I, as an originalist, reject that because that places the power to amend the Constitution in the hands of five Supreme Court justices, Mm. because you only need five for a majority opinion. You know, there was a famous uh, quip that went around during the Earl Warren days, one of our most activist judges, and he said, uh, with five votes, we can do anything. Wow. And it's a, it's a scary thing when five people can amend the Constitution. I mean, if you want to figure out how to amend the Constitution, just study the Constitution itself. I think it's Article 5. It gives you the amendment process, which goes through the people, which is deliberately difficult. But with this new kind of evolving document theory, they can circumvent the amendment process and amend the Constitution themselves. And they can do so in an unaccountable manner because at the federal level you're appointed for life and the people can't vote you out, you know, in the next uh, election cycle. So beginning with Robert Bork, this has been the great battle. Mm -hmm. Are you an originalist or a living document person? And um, it basically turned our court into a political institution and it uh, very sadly is continuing that way right down to leaked drafts wow. to try to influence the way judges you know are going to think on something when they should be looking at the constitution itself rather than the political wins well interesting uh, and by the way if you just tuned in we're speaking with pastor Andy Woods and the 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 subject is the compromise of the supreme court a leaked document a draft of their upcoming Roe v. Wade or decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, possibly. And uh, we mentioned not to celebrate this because it's just a draft. And they could change their vote on a case pretty much any time before the opinion is to be released to the public, which would be could be the end of June. Correct, Andy? Yeah, I mean, typically these decisions come out, you know, in June. And what I saw in the news last night is this is um, a draft that goes back to February. People might want to fact check me on that to make sure that's true. But that's that's what I heard last night. Yes, I saw that in uh, Politico. Now, who? <laughs> speaking of Politico, uh, let's talk about this. Uh, who has any responsibility? 
to if this was leaked by someone inside the Supreme Court, we're thinking it was a liberal activist who uh, wants to get people stirred up about this possible overturn of one of their sacred cows. Um, Who takes the responsibility to not report this? If you are concerned about public safety, if you're, you're concerned about integrity in, quote, journalism, and I know we use that word lightly today, Politico reported it. Um, were they right to do that? Or what are your thoughts on that process? Well, the fact that it was leaked to Politico, which is most people would concede is sort of a left-wing outlet. Yes. I mean, it, it wasn't leaked to the National Review or you know, some <laughs> conservative group. Um, and so obviously somebody within the system that saw the, the trajectory of these judges to overturn Roe versus Wade was very you know, upset about it because in the minds of the left, Roe versus Wade is like a sacrosanct mm-hmm. decision. I mean, you do not tamper with Roe versus Wade that's why all of these questions that come before these Supreme Court nominees relate to, do you respect settled law? Meaning, you better leave Roe versus Wade alone. Which, by the way, is a blatant hypocritical joke because the Roe court itself completely and totally trashed existing settled law. Yes. But their bad law, you know, has been precedent for 50 years. And now we have some Supreme Court justices, apparently, that want to, you know, over overturn bad law. Um, but the fact that this was leaked to Politico, you know, kind of shows me it's someone on the left that's very mm-hmm. upset that their sacrosanct uh, 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 case is about to be overturned. And so, I mean, we don't know all the details of this, but right. if I were a betting man, I would say someone on the court that has a leftist ideology leaked it to a leftist um, media outlet for the purpose of putting this into the political process to stop these five justices from doing what they're doing, who are trying to function according to the Constitution. Right, and all they need to do is put pressure or intimidate one justice, which is scary in and of itself, that an important decision like this, which gave the, I would say, the unconstitutional, uh, quote, right to murder a preborn baby— um, in 1972, 73, this this should be overturned, and I'm I'm just shocked it took this long for it to get to the Supreme Court. But uh, if you're just tuning in, uh, I just want to read before we have to take a break in two minutes. Julianne Appling's comments on this, as uh, Pastor Andy Woods and I have just talked about, she said it is totally unprecedented for a draft opinion to be leaked. This in itself is shocking. Frank, frankly, every effort should be made to find who did this. And he or she should be immediately fired. However, if this was done, as many suspect, by a pro-abortion employee of the court, it certainly shows the desperation of those wanting to keep Roe intact. Um, We've got two minutes left in this segment, Andy. There's just this is a billion dollar industry. Planned Parenthood alone uh, rakes in over a billion dollars in revenue, over 500 million from taxpayers, which is, that's just a whole nother conversation. But so this is a a money, it's a cash cow to the left. So it's no wonder someone got in there. It's interesting that that Biden just appointed a Supreme Court justice and um, now something got leaked. I don't know if the timing has, this is speculation, but Andy, it, it is a battle. They just declared war, I think, by leaking this out there. And that's they're trying to give their minions marching orders. Do you see it any other way? Yeah, no, I see exactly like that. And, you know, the thing to understand, what they want you to believe is, gosh, if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, abortions in America are going to become illegal. And that's that's just false. People that think that don't understand constitutional law. The only thing this would do is it would put the power to make the decision concerning when life begins in the hands of the states. And some states would, like my own, like Texas, would pass you know some restrictions on abortion. Other states, like California and New York, would pass no restrictions. And so people are still going to be able to get their abortions if they want them. Right. But the, the fact of the matter is, you know, whether you're for abortion or against abortion, obviously I'm very pro-life. 
you have to look at this as a matter of constitutional law. I mean, it is just bad constitutional law. I know very pro-abortion people that laugh at Roe versus Wade because it's just it's just something that's made up out of whole cloth, and it's based on this. Uh, they even used a term in the decision called a penumbra, which is a shadow. <laughs> they said this constitutional right to have an abortion is in the shadows you know, of the various amendments of the Constitution. And they amended the Constitution from the bench. And all these five justices, if these reports are right, are trying to do is to uh, um, make this right and not read something into the Constitution that's not there. And let's put the decision uh, over the most fundamental question concerning when life begins. Let's put those into the hands of the uh, layers of government that are closest to the people, the state governments. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what this is all about. Yes, we've got to take a break, but that's an important point. Should the court actually overturn Roe, abortion is not automatically illegal across the country. It returns to the states. And I don't know how your state goes, friends, but our emperor here in Wisconsin already said he's going to do whatever he needs to do to protect abortion rights. And they're using that word rights rather loosely. A lot more with Pastor Andy Woods when we come back on Stand Up For The Truth. Keep it right here. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Our guest is Pastor Andy Woods, and we're talking about the unprecedented leak you know, Andy, I think uh, after th- a couple years of COVID, the, the word unprecedented had to be retired, but I think now they're bringing it back after this leak on the Supreme Court, because this has never happened before. But I want to just quote Julian Appling that, that uh, said if uh, the court does overturn Roe, she said Wisconsin's pro-life movement, movement must be ready, and this is state by state, must be ready to serve women facing unplanned pregnancies and their babies. We must be ready for this election season to stand together for babies and their mothers, plus for any other court challenges that come from the pro-abortion industry and their allies. Uh, Pastor Andy, the midterms are coming up. The interesting timing is they've got six months, you know, more or less to prepare now to, to rally the troops and say, hey, they overturned Roe v. Wade. We've got to go and get more Democrats uh, elected. So th- this is going to potentially impact um, the mobilizing voters, too. That's another angle of this, isn't it? Well, that, that could be one of the ulterior motives, you know, explaining the leak, because everybody thinks it's going to be a red wave. Uh, the next time around, you know, of course, I'm a little bit more cautious mm-hmm. because of what they did, you know, in the last election cycle. I'm always thinking, well, if they can cheat, you know, uh, in 2020, they can cheat again. But yep. putting putting that aside, everybody <laughs> thinks it's going to be a red wave. And this may be a reason to, you know, get their side, you know, more engaged in the process on the grounds that, you know, we're going to go back to back alley abortions and coat hangers. And the truth of the matter is that's just propaganda. As I said before, people that believe that, um, you know, they're kind of preying on people's ignorance of basic civics, and they don't really understand how our government works. If Roe versus Wade is overturned, abortion will not disappear. Right. Personally, I wish it would, yeah. but it won't disappear because all it will do is it will kick the decision back to the state state governments. And Roe versus Wade was one of the most elitist, uh, activist decisions, I believe, in American constitutional history, because essentially what it did, once you federalize something, and you federalize it based on uh, what an unelected court does, is you take the decision away from the people. Hmm. In other words, the state governments, hey, you can't uh, decide on this anymore, because now a constitutional right exists to have an abortion. So it, it took the the power away from the people and basically told the people, you're too stupid or too unqualified, you know, to, to deal with this. And all this will do, and I think that's what Alito is saying in this draft, assuming it's Alito that wrote it, is we're just going to send this back to the state level and now the most fundamental question of our society, when does life begin? Let's have that discussion. Yes. But let the, you know, the state courts handle it. 
which I'm very happy with because if I don't like what uh, I, I, I meant to say state legislatures, not state courts, mm-hmm. if the state legislatures um, you know, decide in a way that I don't like, then I can vote against those legislators in the next election cycle. With Roe versus Wade in place, I don't have that power. Wow. Um, this is big news. Uh, it had to be addressed this morning, and I'm glad I have you on because of your uh, you know, background. I mean, did, did you get a law degree, Andy, and you, got a, you went to the ministry and the, the seminary as well? Yeah, I, I graduated from um, a place called Whittier Law School, in 1993, mm-hmm. and then I became a member of the, the California State Bar. That's right, that's right. You know, before I actually, you know, was called very strongly by God to go into the ministry. And so I left that law practice around 1999 and headed off to Dallas Seminary. You know, can we digress just for a minute? I don't remember the details of, of that. Probably the f- very first time we had you on the air, we talked about it. But what what uh, impacted you at that time to lead you out of that profession where, you know, obviously it, it's, you know, kind of cutthroat, but you were going to make a lot of money in that profession and then say, oh, let's, I think uh, you need to go be a pastor. So <laughs> go get some theological training. Talk, Just tell us a little bit about that transition. Well, it was something where um, I just felt so strongly at that time, you know, that I really needed to understand the Bible. And I was basically around that time discovering my what my spiritual gift is, which is the gift of pastor-teacher. And basically what I was doing is I was practicing law, you know, to kind of support my ministry habit, I guess you could say, on the side. And... Um, you know, the more I got into that, the more I felt that, you know, being actually a pastor-teacher was where my dominant spiritual gifting was. And so obviously to be able to do that successfully and effectively, because the Bible, you know, is very clear, uh, let few of you presume to be teachers, knowing that the teacher will incur the stricter judgment. James chapter 3, verse 1, you know, I needed to understand the Bible better. And so by that time, I had married my wife, Anne, and largely your destiny in life comes down to who you marry, to be honest with you, because if I had married somebody else, they probably would have talked me out of this, (laughs) but um, Anne was completely 100% on board to pursue ministry, Mm. and had that not happened... um, in that particular way, I mean, my life today, I think, would be completely different. But, you know, we moved from California to Dallas because essentially everybody that we liked in ministry, whether it's J. Vernon McGee or David Jeremiah or Chuck Swindoll, they all seem to have their roots in and through Dallas Seminary. Hmm. And so that's where I wanted to go and study. And I was fortunate to do that because when I was there, there were some very helpful professors there that cleared up a lot of misunderstandings I had Mm. about Scripture. And then from there, upon graduating, and I was there for seven years, um, first for my THM, and then I went through the doctoral program there, um, which is a lengthy program. From there, I got a job offer in Houston to teach at a Bible college. And I sort of fell into uh, a pastorate also because this struggling church, Sugarland Bible Church, needed a pastor at the time. And over the course of time, the church started to prosper. And the Bible college that hired me in Houston laid me off. And so that's how I ended up at uh, Sugarland Bible Church. But, you know, now the Lord is taking our sermons and our teachings Mm -hmm. that we do at Sugarland Bible Church, and He is literally exporting them all over the world. Yes. And this was uh, something, obviously, back in the 90s, I didn't envision, because all of the technology <laughs> right. that we have today wasn't available that, that back then. Mm-hmm. But God knew, you know, exactly what He was doing. And so I'm like anybody mm-hmm. else that's walking with Christ. He doesn't give you all the details on the front end. He tells us to walk by faith. You know, I, I just tried to walk by faith, and I'm still walking by faith um, now, excited about what what God's gonna, what's what God's going to do next that I can't see. So sorry for that lengthy no. answer, but that's sort of a 
That was great. Uh, a long story made short. No, it, we needed to hear that just refresher on how you got to where you are. And, and what, Stand Up for the Truth listeners would probably want you to go hug and kiss your wife and thank her when you get off the phone with us today because uh, he has used you a year. I've said before, you're one of my favorite Bible teachers, uh, at least top 10, if not top five. I mean, in the country, I love listening to your teachings. Your pastor's point of view is all right, too. But uh, your teachings and, and the, what you provide at conferences, uh, I personally really am edified, and I learn a lot from it. And I know a lot of people, because of the technology, a lot of people have today, too. So I'm thankful that the hand of God was on your life in Southern California in the 1990s. So, uh, Pastor Andy, let's get back to this this article from Politico now. Uh, what are your thoughts on the way it just seems like the— the justices that were appointed by Republicans, well, <laughs> let me just say this. A person who is familiar with the court's deliberations said that Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorsuch, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett voted with Alito, Samuel Alito, in, the, in the, uh, supporting the potential overturn of Roe v. Wade. And then, of course, naturally, the Democrat-appointed justices, uh, Stephen Breyer, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan, they're now working on dissenting opinions, according to this person, this insider. The, what's interesting is the wild card, Chief Justice John Roberts. How will he vote? He was appointed by a Republican, but that doesn't matter uh, in all these cases. So um, just, just your thoughts on the dynamics of the current setup of the Supreme Court and the rumors we're hearing of, of the left's desire to pack the courts. Well, you know, it, as you're reading those names, they're all sort of lining up that uh, the way I would think. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the, the Republican-Democrat label can be a little confusing. Yes. Because Supreme Court justices have a tendency to go their own way, regardless of who appointed them. And so it's just a matter of, of a waiting game to see how they're going to turn out. Most people forget this, but the infamous Roe versus Wade decision was written by a man named Harry Blackman. If I remember right, it was a seven to two decision, and he was report he was appointed by Richard Nixon, you know, a Republican, and uh, Nixon gave us a terrible Supreme Court pick in Harry Blackman, but he gave us a very good pick in a man named William Rehnquist, who yes. became the Chief Justice of the court and was an original intent guy. But really the issue with Supreme Court jurists is, do you believe in the living document theory, or are you an, uh, you know, a founding father's originalist? And the more their judicial philosophy is an originalist understanding, the more you're not going to like Roe versus Wade. And it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It doesn't matter if you're pro-abortion, against abortion. When you just look at it as a matter of constitutional law, you can see that the court in 1972, under Harry Blackman, amended the Constitution from the bench. And when they amended the Constitution from the bench, they did something that is foreign to the Constitution itself. Hmm. And so if you're an originalist, you won't like Roe versus Wade, regardless of your political persuasion. And okay. so I just kind of want to throw that in there, because yes. a lot of people get sort of swayed by, are they... Republican or Democrat or who appointed them. The most important issue in these picks is what is your philosophy of interpretation? Mm, thank you. I like the originalist view and explanation as well. Um, I want to get your thoughts on further down in this political article. And by the way, uh, if you're just tuning in, this uh, the draft of the Supreme Court decision was leaked to Politico. Uh, Politico is a I'm putting it mildly, a left-leaning media outlet. And uh, they say, it says, the headline is, Supreme Court has voted to overturn abortion rights. Draft opinion shows. Now, the vote could come down to the end of June, um, as we know. So cautious optimism is advised. But the article says the draft opinion runs 98 pages, including a 31-page appendix of historical state abortion laws, the document is replete with citations to previous court decisions, books, and other authorities, and includes 118 footnotes. The disclosure of Alito's draft majority opinion is a rare breach of Supreme Court secrecy and tradition. 
And let's stop right there. Andy, there's a lot of information. This entire thing was leaked. Um, what should happen to the person uh, not just getting fired? I mean, should should this person be prosecuted, whoever leaked that, or those who were involved? I'm guessing it was more than one person. Yeah, well, obviously they should be fired. Um, if it was a lawyer that did it, they should be disbarred. Um, now, Laura Ingram on Fox News was actually a Supreme Court clerk, Mm -hmm. and I watched her very carefully last night on Fox News as she was describing this. And when she became a clerk for, I think she clerked for uh, Clarence Thomas, if memory serves, which is one of the most coveted things you can have as a young law student. Uh, You get that on your resume and you're pretty much set. But she was told by William Winchrist, you know, the, then the Chief Justice, they gathered all these um, interns uh, and clerks into the room, and they, Rehnquist said, you know, if anything out of this court leaks, then your career is over. Hmm. And he, what was Rehnquist trying to do as Chief Justice? He was trying to protect the court from yes. being politicized. And so obviously anybody that leaked this, I mean, being fired should, should be the least uh, thing that happens to them. Uh, they should be disbarred. Their legal career should be over. And I was watching Pam Bondi last night. I think she was either she's the former attorney general or attorney general of Florida. She says there's there's potential crimes involved. Mm-hmm. Um, a person might actually be prosecuted because this is a big deal. Yes. I mean this this deals with this deals with the compromise of the Supreme Court turning an institution which was supposed to be apolitical into an actual political institution. And it's one of the great downfalls of our republic is what has happened. And whoever did this, uh, for whatever reason, ideological reasons or whatever, should be dealt with in the harshest way possible. Andy, we've just got a minute left in this segment, but any speculation on what you might see happening as far as Antifa, Black Lives Matter, the agitators, you know, the activists, they might use this, quote, crisis uh, somehow to put pressure on people or to stir up more uh, chaos to affect people's voting or not voting. What do you think? Oh, well, definitely. And that may be the reason why it was leaked to kind of gen up the usual, you know, political political base. But one of the things you said was very heartening to me. You said when you were reading the article that Apparently, the jurists were looking at the laws on the books in mm-hmm. the original colonies of America mm-hmm. regarding abortion. And so that shows me that they're showing in this particular um, draft that Roe versus Wade is not part of the original intent of our founding fathers because the very court that put, excuse me, the very uh, uh, people that put our Constitution into existence also had on their books, law books at the times, going back to colonial America, laws against abortion. And so if you're an originalist of any sort, there's no possible way that Roe versus Wade can be part of the original vision of our founding fathers. It's judge-made law, and I think that's what Alito's draft is reacting to. So quickly, Pastor Andy, why couldn't they have done this in 1972-73? Because they had all that history. Well, that's a very interesting question. They just got <laughs> absorbed by <laughs> propaganda. All right. Um, they, you have a bunch of people on the court at the time that lost sight of the fact that they're there to apply the Founding Fathers' understanding to different judicial matters, and they were probably inundated, as is taught in most law schools, by this living document theory, and they probably thought they were evolving the document upward because of the evolutionary process. And they probably thought that they were doing humanity a favor. And look at how many millions and millions of lives have been lost as a result through abortion. That's right. We've got a lot more to come with Pastor Andy Woods. We're going to shift gears, talk a little bit about the National Day of Prayer. Also, another Supreme Court case and his take on that. Plus, Joe Biden saying school children are our children, not the parents. More on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, just a reminder that Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. 
And boy, in this nation, friends, do we ever need prayer. I no longer pray, God bless America. I often pray, God save America. And that's got to start with the church, including repentance on our part. The the remnant, not even the whole church, because there are different, quote, churches out there. But um, National Day of Prayer here in our area, if you're in northeast Wisconsin, there will be something in Green Bay um, from 8 a.m. until 5 a.m. Uh, 8 a.m. until 5 p.m. And that'll be uh, there'll be sessions starting at the top of every hour, prayer held throughout the day. You can stop in for an hour. You can stop in, come and go. And that's at the Cup O Joy. It is, um, yeah, 525 Taylor Street, Green Bay. And then there's another one at the Riverside Ballroom, also in Green Bay, a National Day of Prayer luncheon. And there are a couple speakers, and that is at 11 a.m. I'm sorry, 11.30 a.m. Doors open at 11. So uh, that's just what's happening locally. Um, Also, there's a new movie coming out. Thank you, Dinesh D'Souza, and all the work and the research that he does. This one's called 2,000 Mules. I'm not going to tell you what a mule in this context is. You're going to have to find out. But there's an article called Caught on Tape, Ballot Stuffing Mules Coming to a Theater Near You. And it talks about the 2020 presidential election and the footage, video footage that they tracked down, put together, and researched this extensively. And that is, again, by Dinesh D'Souza, 2,000 mules. I think that's hitting theaters, select theaters, in a couple days. Um, what else? One more thing. I, I got an email from Harbinger's Daily. They're a great site for biblical news uh, or news from a biblical perspective because they had a fire in their building and they had issues that I believe they had to move and uh, their offices. So they could obviously use support, prayer, of course, but uh, financial support as well. They're good people. They're trying to do a a great thing, great service to the body of Christ who wants the truth, who wants the news. Uh, So go to harbingersdaily.com. So finally, we're back with Pastor Andy Woods, and let's talk about this Supreme Court case that just came out. And uh, you would think this just reading the headline, hey, that's great news. The Supreme Court ruled in favor of having a Christian flag fly outside of a city hall in Boston. I'm sorry, ruled against Boston because Boston previously had approved 284 applications to fly flags at that city hall, and then I believe they rejected uh, an application to fly the Christian flag, and uh, the, a unanimous—this is interesting. Pastor Andy, I'll get your take on this. It was a unanimous decision that they ruled, um, let's see, Monday, that Boston violated the free speech rights of a conservative activist when the, the city refused his request to fly a Christian flag on a flagpole outside City Hall. Matt Staver of Liberty Council said this, quote, this nine-to-nothing decision strikes a victory for private speech in a public forum. This case is so much more significant than a flag. Boston openly discriminated against viewpoints it disfavored when it opened the flagpoles to all applicants and then excluded Christian viewpoints. Government cannot censor religious viewpoints under the guise of government speech. And so that was Matt, what Matt Staver said. But Andy Woods First of all, your take on this, and then isn't it interesting that they it was a unanimous decision, and I'm thinking they didn't want to take down the revered rainbow flags at all of these you know government buildings. What do you think? Well, you know, because it's nine to two, you know, no, nine to nothing. Ob- yeah, nine, yeah. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I'm think I'm still thinking Roe versus Wade, which was seven to two. So yes. I got to get my. I'm, I'm just. Taking my getting my intake of coffee here, <laughs> nine nine to zero is what I meant to say. Um, thank you. It, it you know it just shows me that the court there is just trying to be fair. Mm. And I remember you know back in the eighties with clubs meeting in school. You know you could have a, a scuba club, you could have a chess club, but you couldn't have a Bible club. And the Supreme Court in a case called Mergens said, well, this is silly. You know, if you're going to have other clubs meeting, you can't exclude the Bible club. And so this is, to me, kind of a no-brainer. Um, if you're going to fly flags of other groups, you can't discriminate against the Christian flag just because you don't like Christianity. And I don't know who that city hall is, or who they think they are, that they thought they could get away with this. But even a Supreme Court unanimously, you know, would reject that because it's just, it's obvious, 
you know, viewpoint discrimination. Right. Well, it's obvious to you and me, but this is we're talking about the the, the East Coast and Boston. Yeah. Um, to to say it's a blue state or a blue city is an understatement. But here's fascinating. The article ends, Pastor Andy Woods, with this: the city has said that in the event of a loss at the Supreme Court, which they got handed it would probably change its policy to take more control of what flags can fly. That's how to, how can they do that if the Supreme Court ruled that you've got to allow the Christian flag and any flag? How can they do this now, change its policy to take more control about what flags can fly? What, what do they mean by that? Well, they're probably just saying, you know, we're not going to let any flags fly. Mm. We've got to let the Christian flag fly. We're not going to let any flags fly. We're going to clamp down on it. And, you know, I guess that's their prerogative as well. But the bottom line is you've got to be fair about it. You can't fly flags based on blatant viewpoint discrimination. And that's what our Supreme Court is, you know, rightfully reacting against. Okay, good. Um, all right, we have time for at least one more story. And this one... Um, it's been promoted and, and, and talked about, I think, quite a bit. April 29, Alex Newman over at freedomproject.com, the Newman Report, uh, quotes, of course, Joe Biden, who recently was referring to the public school children and what was happening with parents trying to take more control about what the kids were, were learning or what was being shoved down their throats. And um, Biden says they're all our children, especially at school. So uh, this is concerning because here's the leader of the free world or the, the selected leader who is currently in the White House, and he spoke at an, ev- an event honoring uh, national, uh, 2022 National and State Teachers of the Year. And he said, you've heard me say it many times about our children, but it's true. They're all our children, Biden said. And this is echoing uh, sentiments expressed by seriously, dictators, if you think back in world history, about who's in the government-controlled school system, they're our children. In other words, they're not the Christians, they're not the parents, they're our children once they're in those school doors. So, Andy, your thoughts on this? I know you had some concerns about this this view from the White House on our education system and parents' rights. Well, it just shows you what a puppet of the left Biden is because the progressive left has been saying this for a long time. Yes. I remember, of course, remember Terry McAuliffe of Virginia, the then governor of Virginia. Uh, this is why he lost the Virginia race, you know, because he espoused this mindset recently. And I remember Melissa Harris Perry on CNN going back maybe, I don't know, five to eight years ago said the exact same thing that kids don't belong to parents. Really, they belong to all of us. And, of course, this is the premise of Hillary Clinton's book, It Takes a Village, you know, to Raise a Child. But it's an attack on the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And is this a biblical issue? You bet your bottom dollar it is. Because when you go back to the Hebrew Shema, which means listen, which was given in, you know, 1,400 years before the time of Christ in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6, and you read through those verses, you'll see very clearly that God puts parents in authority over their own children. In other words, parents are responsible for the education and the moral upbringing of their own children. Now, obviously, we can delegate that out. Um, maybe the school system um, might do a better job teaching them algebra than a typical parent, but then there's always the homeschooling option. But either way, the parent is still in the seat of authority, according to God. Yes. And so when Biden comes out and kind of regurgitates what the left has been saying about this, that the kids really belong to the teachers, that's a direct attack on the family and an institution that God has ordained. And it's driving a wedge between parents and children that God doesn't want there. It contradicts the Hebrew uh, Shema. And it's uh, the fact that the President of the United States now is saying things like this shows you where our nation is, how far we've moved away from a biblical understanding of the family. Yes, and uh, Alex Newman writes that the administration is actually taking direct aim at parents who don't agree with or resist the federal government's imposition of transgenderism 
and extreme sexualization and uh, race, racial, racial ideology. The increasingly discredited Biden Department of Justice, he says, even painted angry parents as potential domestic terrorists for seeking to protect their children. So that's what this administration has already done. Yeah, and isn't that interesting? The parents that want to complain now get the Patriot Act, you know, <laughs> aimed at them because they're domestic terrorists. Right. And, you know, every, you mentioned earlier, every dictator or would-be dictator in world history has done this. I, I've heard this story on two accounts from people in Cuba that left, you know, fled Cuba, is that the uh, what what Castro's people would do is he would have the children in the school system pray to God. Pray to God. Close your eyes, boys and girls. Pray to God for ice cream, and no ice cream would appear. And then he would have Castro's agents say, okay, boys and girls, pray to Fidel for ice cream. Wow. And then the ice cream truck would show up. Now, I've heard that story from two Cuban refugees, so I think it actually happened. Hmm. And is true, but that shows you the mindset of dictators. They mm-hmm. want to drive a wedge between God and the kids. They want to drive a wedge between their parents and the kids. And this is exactly what the left has been trying to do for a long time. And this is what Biden is now espousing. And they want to take your kids and put them into a compulsory educational system where they are force-fed values, whether it's the green agenda or critical race theory that goes directly against what the parents want taught. And it's an attack on an institution that God has established called the family, where God is very clear in Deuteronomy 6 that parents, not government agents, are in the seat of authority over their own children. And Biden is seeking to erase that for, I would think, totalitarian reasons. I wish we had more time, uh, Pastor Andy. We've got just like a minute, minute and a half left. But I just really want to ask you if you could briefly explain. I've heard some Christians defend that idea that it takes a village to raise kids. In other words, they're saying they, maybe they got help from a relative for something, or it takes a village. Parents can't do it on their own. What are your quick thoughts? Well, help is one thing. We all need help. Uh, yes. Um, but when you when you help, you're delegating authority. When you get help, you're delegating authority. You're not acquiescing authority. Mm. And that's the difference. That's good. Um, you know, once you say the kids don't really belong to you, they belong to us, that's no longer a delegation. That's a us- usurping of an authority that God wants to remain with parents. And... You know, there's a reason God is going to hold parents accountable for the upbringing of their own children, because they have the authority. Mm. And so, That's good. You know, I, I understand the mindset, we all need help, but yeah. the, the question is authority. Is authority being taken away? Amen. Thank you. That's exactly why I wanted you to squeeze that in. Pastor Andy Woods, uh, he's got a new book, Babylon, The Book Ends of Prophetic History. Check that out, standupforthetruth.com, or it's on Amazon. God bless you, brother. Thank you so much for all the work you do. Great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Coming up tomorrow, Pastor Matt Truella, and on Thursday, Pastor Steve Smotherman, and on Friday, we've got an author, Nathaniel Jensen, an interesting book, and we've got to wrap it up right now. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.